0: From our epistle reading this morning, let each of you lead the life that the Lord has assigned to which God called you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. may be seated. Last week, I mentioned that I thought it was rather inappropriate to require every Christian to have a dramatic once-for-all conversion event as part of the narrative of their relationship with God. Clearly some people have this, Uh, some people have lived a a good chunk of their lives, alienated from God, and then by God's grace and and the work of the Holy Spirit, they they convert to become followers of Jesus, and that's totally awesome. Uh, But not everyone has this as part of their story. And in fact, every one of us needs to convert continually. Continually we have the need to turn from sin and turn to follow Jesus, and I think we need to do that every day, even every moment. This morning, I'd like to sort of extend this theme a bit by by picking up on some of the underlying concepts from our epistle reading this morning. I think we can see in Paul's writing um, an exhortation to commitment. Continual conversion to Christ entails an enduring commitment to Christ that then also applies to other domains of our lives. And whether you're a new convert to Christianity or have been a follower of Christ all your life, you have the opportunity to renew and take on new commitments in various domains of life. So I think this morning about commitment. Now now here's the thing about um, my talking last week about those of us who have been followers of Christ all our lives. So far as I can understand, Paul here in his letter to the Corinthian church is not writing to an audience who had been followers of Christ all their lives. Presumably, everyone who was among the first recipients of this letter had been someone who had had one of those relatively dramatic once-for-all events, an adult conversion to the way of Christ. We could just think about the timing of Paul's letter. By our best dating estimates, uh, Paul wrote this letter in about 55 AD, just two decades or so after our Lord's ascension. And it's not like there was a lot of Christians in Corinth at that moment, uh, all the way across the sea from, from Jerusalem. Whether it's not until Paul himself traveled on a mission to Corinth that the message about following the way of Christ reached that area, and that wasn't until about 50 or 51 A.D. The book of Acts, uh, chapters 15 to 18, uh, charts Paul's second missionary journey, the one he went with, on, uh, with, with Silas, and it's in chapter 18 that we hear of Paul's visit to Corinth. And, and from Acts, it seems that he stayed there for a while and planted a Christian community there. And then later, the Christians at Corinth, after Paul had left, sent a letter to Paul, perhaps when he was living in Ephesus, with some questions and some confusions that they were having about what it really means to follow Jesus. And Paul writes back, which we read today. That's just four or five years after the gospel was first preached in Corinth, and the first converts to Christianity in that region were converted. So the point of the chronology is just that it's sort of chronologically impossible or implausible that the first hearers of this letter would have been those who were raised in a Christian home or had been followers of Jesus all their lives, like me or perhaps like like some of you. So if you are a relatively recent convert to Christianity, then what you heard this morning from 1 Corinthians can directly and, and literally apply to you. But that doesn't mean that these instructions that Paul gives to the church don't apply to those of us who are not converts in this way. It just means we have to work a little harder to extract a principle from these narratives that then do apply to us. So let's jump into the reading to see if we can discern what might be applicable to all of us. Um, We pick up our reading this morning in verse 17 of chapter 7. Now chapter 7 sometimes gets labeled in Bibles, for instance even in your pew Bibles, gets labeled as something like principles for marriage or instructions on Christian marriage, which is fine for large sections of chapter 7, but doesn't apply to the entirety of of chapter 7. First uh, Corinthians 7 comes in this, this section where Paul is answering these questions re- received from the Corinthians, and it, and it seems like an umbrella question for this section might be more generally something like, now that I'm a Christian, what do I do about a bunch of other areas of my life? Which it seems pretty reasonably that you might ask that question. If you just had a radical conversion to a new way of living, a, a new worldview, a new religion, you might wonder if this would require other dramatic changes to your life. And in fact, sometimes it it does. It's just, you know, which areas of life does this Christianity apply to with respect to a radical shift? So the questions being raised throughout chapter 7 are something like this, is my paraphrase. Something like, I just became a Christian, but my spouse isn't. Should I leave them? Or I just became a Christian, but I'm not married. Should I stay single or should I get married? Or my fiancé and I just became Christians. Should we still get married? Or more directly, what we heard from today, I just became a Christian and I'm not circumcised. Does following Christ mean I should get circumcised? Or I just became a Christian and I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave. Is that going to affect my ability to follow Christ? So it's in that context that we can understand Paul's instructions in verse 17 to lead the life that the Lord has assigned to which God has called. And then he goes on to say, so essentially, you can and should follow the teachings and example of Jesus in whatever situation you find yourself. You don't have to worry that your context will prevent you from following Christ. You can remain committed to where you are and to what you're doing, even as you're now learning to follow Christ. So the questions about marriage aren't actually only specifically about marriage. They're questions about how, to, how being a new Christian affects that status. And this is where I think the instruction to stay committed to where you are comes in. Paul's saying, if you became a Christian but your spouse isn't, no, you don't have to leave your unbelieving spouse. Or if you and your fiancé just became Christians, you can go ahead and still get married and follow through on that commitment. If you aren't married and became a Christian, you can do either. You can do whatever. You can stay single. You can get married. Your commitment to Christ remains in either state. Although, quick aside, Paul seems to indicate in chapter 7, verse 28 and following that it might actually be of one's benefit to stay single because it frees one up for service and devotion to God. But either way, though, single or married, one can be a follower of Christ. Then these same instructions apply to other domains beyond the issues of marriage. Uh, Paul applies this to circumcision in verses 18 to 20 and then servanthood in verses 21 to 23. The point about circumcision isn't so much about having to perform that act, although the instruction encompasses that as well, but the point's more focused on one's ethnic status. If you recall, this is one of the the, the biggest debates in the earliest days of the church about whether the non-Jewish converts to Christianity, like those in Corinth and and the other parts of the Roman Empire, these non-Jewish converts had to become Jewish first and follow the Jewish law and customs in order to be proper followers of Jesus. And that's what circumcision represents here. And Paul is consistent here in Corinthians with what he says elsewhere and, and with the, the council, the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. But no, non-Jewish converts to the way of Christ ought to remain as they are. They can remain as Gentiles. Each one of you should remain in the condition in which you were called, Paul writes. And so likewise, for servants or for slaves, and I know that out has a lot of baggage to it. Slavery was certainly common in the first century Roman Empire. I don't think Paul here is actually supporting the system of slavery in the empire. Rather, he's offering some, some instruction, some comfort to the servants of the slaves, as he does to those in the other domains of life, saying you can be a follower of Christ wherever you are. Your status is not relevant to that. Verse 24, in whatever condition you were called, or whatever condition you were converted, you can remain there, but now with God. So here's a suggestion at a, at a moral theological principle underlying Paul's, uh, Paul's comments here that we can, we can extract and then try to apply. And it's simply this, that God values our commitments. God values the commitments we have made and the commitments that he calls us to make. And I think that this can be taken in two complementary directions. Uh, first, an encouragement to fidelity in the commitments we've already made. And then second, an encouragement to take on meaningful commitments as a way of living out our fidelity to God. So in the first, the first direction regarding faithfulness to the commitments we've already made. Let me try to apply this to two two relational areas, marriage and friendship. And Paul himself is talking about marriage all throughout this chapter, and our our Jeremiah reading alluded to this. And I think this kind of a commitment is under great pressure in in our present moment, in our culture at the moment. Uh, Our reception of the scriptural teaching about marriage entails that marriage uh, is a lifelong commitment, uh, even called a covenant in our prayer book. It's a very different form of commitment than one sees in our surrounding culture. Now, of course, neither Paul nor anyone in scripture is saying that fulfilling this commitment is is easy, far from it, but of course very little in life that is easy is worth very much. Rather, the, the teaching is that the kind of relationship the kind of intimacy emotional spiritual physical that occurs in christian marriage needs the safety and the security of a lifelong commitment god values the commitments we who are married have made to him and to one another and he offers us the grace and guidelines and support for seeing that commitment through all the way until death do us part now Quick aside, I do want to remind us that scripture does say that there are certain situations where this commitment can be broken by the sin of one of the persons in the marriage. Uh, adultery, abuse, abandonment, these three A's all shatter that safety and security of marriage. The lifelong commitment remains, but these sins may require that the offended spouse live out that commitment separately from the offender. Another relationship i like to point out as in need of commitment is our Friendships. Married or single, adult or child, we're all in need of friendships, of living and sharing our lives with others. And in fact, our friendships, too, require commitment in order for them to flourish. And I wonder how often we think of our friendships as commitments to attend to, to to nurture and to to tend, not just as domains in which to have some fun. Of course, friendships can be fun. They should be fun. And hopefully we enjoy being with those uh, who are our friends and live in our communities. But life is messy and life is hard and sometimes our friends go through difficulties i think this principle invites us to see how our commitments to our friends can motivate us to care for them be faithful to them even when it's not very fun even when they ask of us more than we ask of them now a second direction i think we can take an application of the principle that god values our commitments is in an encouragement to take on meaningful commitments as a way of living out our fidelity to God. So let me apply this to two areas, two ecclesial areas, church membership and confirmation. Now, some of you regular attenders here at All Souls know uh, we've been working on refreshing the concept of practi- and practice of membership in our parish. And I think that membership in our parish is a beautiful opportunity to practice the kind of commitment to place, to people, uh, to this community that, that underlies Paul's comments here this morning. Membership for us is, is not like getting perks like a, in a club, but it's about saying, I'm here, this is my place, I am part of this community, uh, as a receiver of the grace offered here, but more importantly, as a giver as well. Membership says, I'm invested, this is my home. At All Souls Here, uh, we, uh, next week we have our annual meeting between the services, as I mentioned earlier, and we're actually going to be welcoming six new members into our, into our parish. It's also a great chance for those who are current members to kind of refresh your commitment to this place. I even want to invite those of you who aren't members, but but have found All Souls to be your home, to think about whether maybe God might be calling you to make a commitment to this place and to exercise this principle. And finally, I'd like to talk about the commitment that one makes in the rite of confirmation. Again, as I've noted, uh, our bishop's coming out in March to visit this parish, and he'll administer the rite of confirmation to those who desire it. As such, we're helping people prepare for participating in this confirmation uh, uh, through confirmation classes. And confirmation can serve multiple purposes, which I kind of outlined a little bit there. Let me just kind of like go deeper into, into one, one that functioned for me, which was an, as an opportunity to, to take on a commitment to the Anglican expression of the Christian faith. Although, as I mentioned, I've been a Christian all my life. I didn't grow up in the Anglican environment. Rather, I was a non-denominationally Baptist in Southern California, where denominations didn't really mean anything. Uh, To make a long story very short, in my time in college, I began exploring other Christian traditions, and yet I felt the weight of Paul's instruction here to, to lead the life to which one was assigned. There wasn't anything gravely wrong about the tradition that I grew up in. Uh, I grew to have some theological and aesthetic disputes, but I wasn't sure if those were large enough to move into a different stream within the Christian church. So it took me a long time to move from my like, first inklings that Anglicanism might be the place to which God was calling me to my eventually getting there. It ended up being a roughly seven year process. I could share the details in the time, but what became clear to me, and by that time my wife as well, was that this was the Christian stream to which we were called. Uh, this was it. We're going to make a commitment to it. I'm sort of Anglican or bust. We're going to make a commitment to this tradition. For, for us, then, for me especially, confirmation was that marker by which I, I made that commitment. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm signing up for this Anglican thing and received the, head, the, the laying on of hands by a bishop, which in fact was 17 years ago next month. And that's just my story, that's just my experience but I'd like to invite you to think about whether or not you have some similar stories or similar points of intersection in your narrative. Um, perhaps this might be a time when you might consider taking on an Anglican or bus kind of commitment. I'd be happy to talk with you further about that if, if so. But for all of us, I think this passage reminds us that God values our commitments. And, and moreover, God values you in any of the commitments you have made. You can be a follower of Christ and God will remain with you in whatever domain or calling or vocation you find yourself in. Well, let's take this principle and apply it to the commitments we have made or might make, whether it's in your marriage or in your friendships, in your participation in this parish or in your participation in the Anglican tradition. Let us attend, nurture, and and value the commitments we've made as God does. Amen.